We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, but today doesn't feel that way. We are divided in more ways than one, and the media and the powers that be all have their own agenda. The people of this great nation no longer care about the truth, they only care about the side they are on. At Poor360, I am trying to change that. We're bringing you the facts and history so we can all learn something and make our own decisions. Tune in every Tuesday to be a part of that journey. Following, following the following the journey into comics. 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 Network. 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 Production. Production. And here we go. Ladies and gentlemen, you're listening to Journey into Comics, the podcast dedicated to all things nerd, with your host, the Podfather himself, Nate Phillips. Showtime, a-holes! What's up, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome back to another episode of Journey Into Comics. It's Journey Into Comics 242. I am your host, Nate. Hope everyone is doing fantastic on this... Oh, I'm late. It's Monday, and it's Monday early afternoon, and I'm not to you guys yet, which is unfortunate, but I decided to hold off doing this episode until Monday morning because... Today, they released the Spider-Man Far From Home trailer. It was a big one. There's a lot to talk about there. I feel like I didn't say enough about Avengers Endgame on our last podcast that I did with everybody at LaFiCon. So we're going to... I'm going to talk about some things I've noticed and and just kind of rip on the movie, uh, the aftermath of everything that happened in the MCU uh, after Endgame. So we're going to be doing that, but you know, I didn't get a chance at all at LaFiCon to talk about the really incredible experience and the crazy experience I had last week. So this is a little bit of time traveling to last week. We're going to just do a little quick Hawkeye trip here and just go back a week and come back. So I Thursday, the gals and I met up with our friend Cody and went and saw Endgame. And that was amazing. It was a lot of fun, and the experience was good. The theater was in awe for a majority of the movie. Like people were just silent throughout. No one wanted to clap because everyone wanted to get every single little morsel. And there was a couple big moments. We'll we'll dive into those here in a minute. You know, obviously. But uh, so you know, we saw Endgame Thursday. We head back home, and we have to get up Friday. And get ready, because Friday we had the show at Subterranean, Walk Among Us, playing at Subterranean with Subterranean with Eddie and the Arsons. And it was a 7th House meetup, and if you guys don't know what 7th House is, that's Danzig's official fan club. Uh, they were having a meetup at our show, uh, led by Danzig's friend and manager, I think, possibly. I, I know he's at least his like really good friend, and they, they talk all the time and whatnot, but... Um, and he, he definitely keeps his eye on like the fan page. I know I've noticed that on 7th House, if someone says something that Glenn Danzig doesn't like seeing on that page, it gets taken down, and it literally says taken down at the request of GD. Meaning, he saw it, obviously, through Maurice or whoever, and Maurice was there. It was super cool to have everybody there. It was a crazy experience. We sold the show out before we even opened doors. Like We had already sold every ticket to the show out before doors even opened. So we literally had people lined up outside waiting to to see us, and you know, seven we were, we were in, we finally got to Subterranean that afternoon. Had to park, and that was a little bit of a fiasco. And you got to pay with this online parking 
thing now at Chicago's has, which is nice because you don't have to run back to the meter every few minutes or whatever and, and not get towed. Luckily, everything was cool. No tickets, no tow, no nothing. It, it worked out stellar. So we, we get parked. We get all of our gear in. And we do a setup really fast, sound check, and then do a teardown to the point of like when it's time to play, we can just throw our gear back up. So we're sitting there, and then they open the doors, and people are already coming up to us. We're selling posters. People want us to sign the posters, which was crazy. I was like, okay, sure. Here you go. That's my my John Hancock. Enjoy that. Uh, so we're like you know, kind of in this experience where people are not really mobbing us, but sort of, there was a lot of people around us. And while this, while the band is playing next to us, so people are trying to interact with us, but also it was kind of, some of this was kind of poorly put together. I wish I would have had a little bit better control of the event itself. Cause I would have liked to have time afterwards. We'll get there though. So, People are mobbing us. It's hard for me to hear what they're saying, and they're asking us to sign it. They're asking us all kinds of questions, and we're <clears throat> just being super cordial. And then it's time, and we've got to play, and we are setting up. And V and I bring her piano out, and as her piano comes out on stage, the fucking crowd erupts. It's the craziest thing. Like they were super p- fucking pumped for us. So we give V's keys out. Same thing with Sarah. They they go crazy. So it's time. We get locked in. We play for an hour for these people, 115 people in the subterranean, completely wall-to-wall, sold-out, packed. Everyone's screaming and singing along. It was truly a remarkable, unforgettable experience for me. One of those things where, you know, 20 years from now, this is a show I will never, ever be able to shake off because it just was something different. It was definitely something special. And it was, you know, the, the, especially the crazy thing was it wasn't like we were just playing for 115 people from Chicago, like Chicago, the scene kind of sucks. If we're being real, it's really kind of shitty. So, uh, you know, my thing is like this experience was so, I, I, it was so different because 115 people, from all over the world, literally at our show. Germany, Sweden, Netherlands, California, Florida, uh, New York, Pennsylvania, Hawaii, everywhere. I mean, literally, people from all over, everywhere were at our show, and it was really fucking cool. It was a really cool vibe and a really nice experience, and um, yeah, that, I, that, that's kind of all my hype on that. But then I got to do something that I really fucking got to just enjoy and dive in on. You guys have been hearing them sporadically throughout the past week. You'll be hearing them sporadically through this week and probably into the next couple weeks, depending on when and where those episodes get dropped. Cause they're a lot of them. So journey into comics network hosted LaFiCon's live stage entertainment, I guess you'd call it. And uh, we, you know, it was really nice. We had a run of the stage. We had times down how we were going to do them. We only had one snafu, which my fault. I, w- I wish I would have better known and better prepared uh, Mr. Dave Linder for, for, for LaFiCon. Uh, he set his game up like when he was supposed to be on stage for the podcast. So that ran over, which ran everything else over, which caused Foodies to run shorter than I wanted it to. It also caused Podcastrophy to run a little bit shorter than I wanted it to. But you know what? 
it all works out. It all still went really nicely. I wasn't like, I'm, I'm still not upset about it. It was just a fact. I, next time we're doing these shows, I got to make sure I let everybody know to have everything you can as prepared as humanly possible. Make sure you know who you're having on your show. Make sure you know who your teams are or whatever. However, you know, sometimes it's fun to wing it. And I've been, I'm good at winging it. I've made a career out of winging it, honestly. But sometimes we got a plan. So that's, that's my, that was my like one tiny minor thing about that was like, I, I fucking didn't plan good enough. I didn't set my team up for success. So it's one of those things I'm just kind of kicking myself for, but next time we'll kill it. So day one of LafayCon was really fun. We had, uh, all kinds of different shows. The pores got to come for their first LafayCon, which was amazing. We had, uh, you know, I got lucky and we got to take a picture with everybody who's a part of the network except for literally two hosts was in the picture. Like all but two people were in the picture and it was a really cool experience to have all those people in the same place and just to see us all interacting, having great chemistry, being able to be on any of the different shows. You know, I got to go on. It was funny. I actually scheduled this this uh, entire shindig so I could do like the first show, essentially host have a break for the next couple podcasts, do foodies, and then get out of there and not do a whole lot of anything on Saturday because I knew coming off of our show I was going to be dog-ass tired. And I was admittedly beat. But it was okay. It wasn't one of those like so beat that I couldn't you know, carry on. I still did well. Every single host asked me to do their show, which was great. I, f- I fucking loved it. It was f- so much fun to do Bruce with Dudes again, and it was a lot of fun to be on and be a part of Fiasco, and I can't wait for you guys to hear that episode drop. That was a crazy experience. And then you've got uh, you know Foodies that week is actually going to be... Uh, I think that actually... Dro- it actually oh, that dropped last week. That dropped last week, yeah. Adulting Ain't Easy, though, debuts in a couple days here, folks, and that's crazy. We're already at the point in the year where the pores are back telling us about how to keep life real and, and doing what they do best. So Saturday was a lot of fun. We drive home. Sarah had to do piano lessons the next morning. So then the next morning, V and I got up, drove right back down to Lafayette for day two. Got there early, did the first part of, or the second part of last week's endgame discussion where we did all the spoilers and blew the doors open and still didn't cover not hardly anything. Like there are so many moments in that movie just to recount. Uh, so, you know, honestly, it was a crazy Sunday because it was like we did that. The pores did adulting ain't easy. And Sunday, I will say, I did get a little bit of a reprieve. I had less to do, which was nice. Uh, I got to do, I, I was like I had a little bit of a, a, a quasi guest on adulting ain't easy. So I can now say I've been on that show. And there's only like really a couple shows I've never done on the network, which Crucial Tunes, one of them, Kids for Sale, one of them. I think that's it. Uh, well, I guess Poor 360, but I've done versions of that show, so actually, but not technically. I don't know. Anyways, so Sunday was a breeze, though, because the pours did there. I was just kind of a, like a, a little bit of a guest, and then I interviewed Nick Maxson in a mini Voice of Survival episode. It wasn't as long as I like to typically go. We didn't dive as deep as I would have loved to have gone, but we were doing it live. It was a totally different experience. I liked doing it live. It was fun to say I've finally done one of those in front of a crowd uh, and that I can carry it on as I wanted to and it still be hopefully entertaining. 
Uh, so we did that, and then they ended the day. There was like I put that it was a rap party because I didn't know what wanted to go there or if anybody had anything they wanted to do. It was just like a, we're gonna put this here because there's not really a show. I want to say you have to do a show right now. It's easier to just say there's a rap party and then whatever show we're gonna do can be that show. So it ended up being Bruce with dudes, which I can't wait. That's probably gonna be this week's episode for them this coming Saturday. Um. So it was like LaFiCon was a whirlwind of whoosh, 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 and I drove back uh, Sunday evening to come home to watch Game of Thrones. I edited the fuck out of everything because I had to get all the podcasts off the board as quickly as possible, as accurately as possible, and to ensure that they all had their files saved so that we had no snafus. Because you guys remember, last July, I had the meltdown because the board ate almost all of the LaFiCon interviews we had done, which uh, kind of inspired me to change it up this year. It was also different for LaFiCon this year. There were less uh, vendors and less good vendors, I should say, or at least vendors that had something unique or different to bring to the table. Uh, we had a lot less familiar faces this year. I know we didn't have the paranormal dudes weren't there, and John Tyler Christopher was there only one day. Uh, Andy Shaggy Cordy wasn't there, and Brian K. Morris wasn't there, and it was crazy. There was not a lot of people there. It was really, and uh, Julie Scott Wolf wasn't there. So it was sparse. It was very sparse as far as who's there, and it was like, well, fuck it. We'll just do podcasts. We had a nice turnout. There were a lot of people. It seemed like a lot of people seemed interested in the podcast, so maybe that's something we can build on here in the near future, you know? Uh, I know that this week coming up for me is crazy. Today's Monday, tomorrow's Tuesday. Tuesday, I go to Hoopston to visit my pops, hang out with him, come back Wednesday, hang out with the girls and have a day. Thursday, I've got, oh, I'm going to see Endgame again. I can't wait to do that. We're going to, again, dive into Endgame here in just a few short minutes. Friday and Saturday, we're going to be driving to Ohio to play a show in Columbus on Friday. And a show in Dayton on Saturday, and I cannot wait. It's going to be a lot of fun. I can't wait to get back out on the road and be in the truck. That's sarcasm, by the way. I fucking hate that truck and driving in it, but it gets us where we got to go. So I guess it's as good as we got, right? So anyways, folks, man, that's my life in a nutshell, wrapped up into a, a fucking quick recap of the things I've been recently doing. You know, watching a lot of Game of Thrones lately. You guys been watching that, I'm sure. It's like, you know, coming to a head here. We're in the final couple episodes. Episode 5 and 6 are the last two episodes next week. The finale this week, the penultimate episode coming out on the 12th, Mother's Day. Ooh, brutal. Dropping that episode on Mother. I wonder if they will drop it on Mother's Day or if they'll postpone it and make it to where the last week of May is when they drop the finale. I'm not sure how they're going to pull that off. Anyways, so... You know, Game of Thrones, I don't want to be too spoilerific. I know there's a lot of people who have seen the show. I also do know there are some people who aren't all the way caught up. Uh, I will say this. So far, this season has been perfect. There's been nothing that I've been like, oh, really? Like, come on, man. That's a terrible decision. Every decision's been like, yep, that actually makes perfect sense that it would happen like that. Oh, yeah, that's actually exactly what would happen in that scenario. Oh, yeah, I can't believe X did that to Y. That was bizarre. I mean, just to talk about the depth of the characters, this is why I love the show, is that they've built these characters up through long-form storytelling and given you a lot of information about these people that you've learned to care about. So when you get scenes with Brienne of Tarth and Jamie, 
they're beautiful. They're great. There's a lot of energy in those scenes. It's very special. You can see the chemistry of those two people working with each other. When you get scenes with, especially Samuel Tarley and Jon Snow, another great example of they bring a different chemistry. They they feel like family to each other. And I mentioned this, not to spoil anything, but like there have been several instances in the show where Sam and John have been together, been forced apart, and then found each other again surprisingly and been like, oh my God, you made it. Oh my God, you made it too. And I love those moments because it's the, they're always so dire. Like they, it's always a you know historically through from season one to season four, whenever it's happened. I'm never going to see you again, and this is dire. This is bad, you know. And I, I just love those stakes, though. That's what makes the show for me is their stakes. So I just think, as we talk about it here. I believe that Game of Thrones is going to go down in history as like a legendary show of epic proportion. And I mainly think that not just because they've done a great job of telling their stories, but they've done a great job of keeping people guessing and not giving any... Like, I can't tell you what's going to happen in the next episode, man. I can have theories all day. I really could. I could sit here and bullshit you guys' theories off till the fucking cows come home. Zero of them are going to be any percent accurate because what they're doing is just unexpected. They're turning the show, and it's like every time you think you've got their status quo of how they're going to set up what's coming next in these final few episodes, they just go, oh, and by the way, we're going to just totally change it up again. You know, and I one thing I do like is they make the stakes... Huge. The stakes for Game of Thrones is absolutely huge. It works. It makes the show super impactful because you're sitting there watching an episode like The Long Night and your heart's just pounding out of your fucking chest 100 miles an hour and you can't even think and you're just like, what the fuck? And you can't see and you're just overwhelmed by the darkness and you're overwhelmed by this moment. You're overwhelmed by everything that's happening. But they still have you absolutely captivated and you can't look away. That's beautiful, perfect storytelling. And that is why Game of Thrones, like I said, is going to go down in history, guys. Absolutely. If you're not watching this show, if you're not caught up or if you're not trying to catch up, do yourself and every fucking person around you a favor and don't be that guy. Because I feel like when this show ends, all bets are off for spoilers and people are going to go crazy, you know? This is a once-in-a-lifetime thing. My only hope is, I hope Game of Thrones doesn't have a Dexter-y ending. I also hope it doesn't really have a Breaking Bad kind of ending. Dexter, bad for a different reason. It was really just bad because they ruined the whole essence of what made that show Dexter so good. Breaking Bad was great, and the ending was beautiful. However, it was also just kind of like, nobody wins. That really? No one really gets a W after all that? You're just leaving me with this nasty taste in my mouth? You didn't even eat pineapple first? Really? Come on, man. That's what I'm saying. So, I just hope Game of Thrones delivers here in the last two. We'll be seeing, you know. Uh, I, I can't wait to see how things turn out. I really can't. Uh, speaking of building tension and, and world building and long-form storytelling, I told you guys we're going to be talking about it. There's going to be lots of spoilers on this one because it's been out just about two weeks. The Russo brothers themselves said, look, 
spoiler embargo is up on Monday. You're going to be talking about it. You're going to have to talk about it because we need to release a fucking trailer. We're going to talk about that in a second. Because first, so I've been re-watching Endgame a lot. I don't know how else to say that, allegedly. Maybe. Uh, through the graces of a friend and the world around me, I was graced with a really, really high-quality uh, Japanese cam screen. <laughs> I can't believe I'm saying that. Of Endgame. And, you know, it's not like I'm watching it on showing 100 people, giving it out all over the place. I'm really using it mainly for this show because I'm just studying the movie at this point and, and studying all the little nuances and thinking about things that maybe got briefly overlooked. Seeing things, I mean, I've been pointing out stuff throughout. I'm sure you guys have heard some of these things like, yes, okay, so um, it's true. Howard the Duck makes an appearance in Endgame. It's real. He's in there. It's also true that, you know, uh, I mean, okay, so I don't even know where to begin. So if we're talking about Endgame, there are just so many things I want to discuss. And first of all, I want to talk about the sheer emotion of this movie. There are maybe 10 different moments where I got choked up, I cried, I gasped in sadness and fear. Um, and I'm not like even ashamed to admit it. It's just, it's just fact. They got me. They genuinely got me. I've been a fan of this series since Iron Man 2008. I jumped on at the beginning. I was stoked as fuck to see that first movie. I'm pretty sure I saw it opening day or preview night or within the first opening weekend. I had seen the original Iron Man and I was just like blown away. Of course, you hear the rumor there's an after-credit sequence. I watch the after-credit sequence. I see Nick Fury. I'm like, oh, my God, they're going to actually set the Avengers up. And here we are all these years later with this gigantic movie that gave you a massive set of moments. Um, honestly, I mean, maybe before we actually talk about the moments, we should dive into the box office numbers because, you guys, it is insane the amount of money this movie is bringing in, okay? The movie, okay, worldwide right now has brought in $2,188,698,636 in It has officially eclipsed and sunk the Titanic, and now it only has about $600 million, which is very small for how well this movie is doing. It only has about $600 million to beat Avatar, the longtime record holder for the highest box office of all time. Now, one thing to note, Avatar also has a little bit of an advantage. Avatar played a second screening later. They did an initial screening of that movie, and then they did a re-screen of that movie that gave its box office numbers a little bit higher of a boost, I think, after it was nominated for Academy Awards or some shit, whatever it was. But Endgame right now, right, domestically... $619 million brought in. I mean, that's crazy. It is just insane. Okay, so here's how insane it is. You guys, here's some breakdowns. And this is one thing I love about Box Office Mojo. If you're not using it, it's a great place to see your numbers that are happening uh, for movies as they're coming out. 
it gives you an Avengers versus Star Wars showdown, giving you a 10-day total domestic, how much money Endgame has brought in the first 10 days versus the first 10 days of the much-loved Star Wars The Force Awakens. So here's where there is human... It's, it's, it's crazy, really. It really is. So let's let's view this full showdown, okay? Let's look at this whole thing here. So Endgame is in 10 days only $60 million away from eclipsing the lifetime box office of Infinity War domestically, okay? It's very close to, to eclipsing the first Avengers movie as well. So here's interesting. The 10-day for... Where, where do they show that? That's crazy, too. All the end game numbers are first, second, or third already, and it's only been out 10 days. That's something to tell you. You know what I'm saying? So go back to it here. This is the best way. The 10-day for Star Wars The Force Awakens versus the 10-day for Avengers Endgame. In 10 days, Avengers Endgame has made $619,698,638 as to where Star Wars The Force Awakens made $540,058,914 in its first 10 days. Meaning it's already trending way higher. I mean, you know, 50,000 or better, 60,000 or better, 70,000, almost 80,000 better. Uh, or 80 million better. Sorry, I can't math. 80 million dollars better in the first 10 days than Star Wars The Force Awakens, which was everybody going, oh my God, Star Wars is coming back. It's one of my favorite things in my childhood and it's going to be everything I want and more. And look at that trailer. I'm going to, I have to go see it as soon as possible. I saw that movie several times in theaters during, during the opening weekend. I only saw Endgame once because I was so busy. If I would have had nothing to do on this weekend, I would probably seen Endgame every day of the week because it was just that fucking good. So what does this mean? This means that there's a new standard for movies and what kind of storytelling can be done. It's going to mean that properties that are not Marvel are going to try to create shared universes that get people hyped. It's going to mean that there are properties that literally aren't superhero related, aren't comic book related, aren't anything related are going to try to create shared universes where they can tell multiple stories, multiple characters, and then bring them together to make a large moment, a very impactful moment. So I've rewatched Endgame a bunch, like I said, you know, and there's so many moments that got me. You talk about the opening sequence with Hawkeye's family choked me up. It got me the first time because it's like, man, right out the gate, they're showing you. I'm not fucking around. I mean, really, Hawkeye's family being dusted could have been the last after credit sequence in Infinity War. But they saved it for the opening sequence of Endgame, which was great because it set the tone. It's dark. This shit is not going to be happy. You're not going to have a fun time. You know, you jump to Tony and uh, Nebula on the Benatar playing Chinese football and listen to Dear Mr. Fantasy. And it's just like, that's fucking Quill's mixtape or the Zune plugged in playing on the Benatar and they're listening to that song and it's just those two and they're stranded in space for 22 days and Tony's malnourished you know and that's one thing to notice that when he when they do get to earth after Captain Marvel saves him like he looks like shit and he's all fucked up and mentally and he's beat and you know he's a, he tells he gives Cap his uh, his quote-unquote arc reactor where he stores the nanotech he says you find him and you put this on you put this on and you you you, you you know, you can't, and then he, he collapses from exhaustion, you know, 
Uh, one thing I noticed, Captain Marvel says she's going to go get a Zorian elixir. The only thing is I can't find Zorian or uh, that kind of uh, that word in anything Marvel, so I don't know if that was something I'm mishearing. It sounds like she's saying a Zorian elixir. She might say Sorian. She might say a Sorian. I don't know. But I thought it might be some sort of crazy Easter egg to dive further into. Didn't find it. She goes to, she wants, she said when she's coming back, she's going to give that elixir to Tony to make him feel better. So they right out the gate of this movie, get a bunch of the fucking Avengers who are left. They hop on the Benatar. They go to the garden. Captain Marvel scopes the garden, says it's just him. It's just Thanos down there. Thanos in a fucking t-shirt, chilling, making some beans. They fucking go and attack him. It was crazy because at first, like, my brain tricked me a little bit, you know? Like, Captain Marvel busts in. Thanos has the gauntlet, and as he was lifting it, like, as he goes to lift the gauntlet in his hand, Hulkbuster popped up. So I thought, oh, my God, he summoned fucking a Hulkbuster in reality to attack Captain Marvel. That's going to be badass. But it was actually Banner and the Hulkbuster. They all get him as best they can. Like I said, War Machine's there to help. And Rocket's there. And Thor's there. And Captain Mar- Captain America walks in, you know. And they're asking him, like, where are, the, where are the stones? And he says, I use the stones to destroy the stones. That line is confusing. Because while it does sound like he said he destroyed the stones, it needs to be clarified... <laughs> He merely reduced each stone to a singular atom, something you can't just find. You're not going to be able to easily find a singular atom. There is a way, I think, in the future they could find the stones Thanos got rid of and then maybe undo some more issues or change some things, possibly. I feel like the, sto- the story of these Infinity Stones aren't is not done, though. So the stones are all reduced to atoms spread out throughout the galaxy. I think Ant-Man and the Quantum Realm could find the stones, possibly. They're on an atomic level, and all they would have to do is have an energy source. They had all the stones, you know, at some point. We'll talk about that. Uh, so Thanos destroys the stones. Thor kills him. Boom. Gone for the head. Bop. Handled. Thanos, headless, dead-ass Thanos. They jump to five years later. Things are different. Cap is, you know, got a retirement home going on. Or not a retirement home, but like a fucking... Not a retirement home. I'm stupid. Uh, Cap's got like a fucking support group for people who are depressed because, you know, people died and were blinked out of existence. I'm going to take a quick drink break brought to you by Tomorrow's Poor 360. You guys can check out Poor 360 every single Tuesday right here on the Journey Into Comics Network at journeyintocomics.com. So, uh, where was I at and, and, and telling you guys the update? Okay, yeah, five years later, Cap has a support group. And that's kind of where we start his next part of the story off with because he goes and sees Natasha. Natasha had just been talking to Rocket, Nebula, Captain Marvel, and uh, Rhodey uh, through, like, the telecom thing that, like, uh, Thunderbolt Ross used in Endgame as well, or in Infinity War as well as in Civil War. I think that technology was used as well. So uh, they're sitting there and they're just like talking about how they can't let it go. And they, and she's like, I can't move past doing things to make sure the, the world is safe. I want to say they had a, a, a Submariner Namor Easter egg dropped in that scene with Akoya, uh, who's also there. My bad. Akoya was also there in that scene. 
uh, on the holocoms or whatever. She says that there were some big earthquakes under the ocean, and that's like, how are we dealing with them? And she says we deal with them by not dealing with them. Um, but earthquakes underwater off the coast of Wakanda. It's fucking Atlantis, Namor, the Submariner. It's there. It's happening. We're going to get it. We're going to get... Oh, it's going to be so fucking amazing. I can't wait. So that's happening. Just a subtle reference. Move on. But those two can't move on. They're lost in it. And as they're talking about it, all of a sudden we get the cut scene with uh, Scott Lang getting brought out. Check it out. There are 14,605,000 different versions of the oncoming conflict with Thanos per Doctor Strange. And the one where they win, a rat had to free Scott Lang. That was the one variable. Russo Brothers confirmed that's the only thing. That's, that is the one that makes it the one. So if like Scott never got trapped in the quantum realm, maybe they had more options to win. But him being trapped in the quantum realm at the end of Ant-Man and the Wasp forces those odds to be one of the 14,605,000, only one that they won, involving the rat releasing Lang from the quantum realm by stepping on the controller. He's freed. He's only been in there for five hours. He'll talk about that in a minute. He gets out. He's trying to figure out what's going on. Another heartbreaking moment. This one got me. He goes to look for the names of the of the of the disappeared, and he goes to find Cassie's name, and he sees his own. He's like, "Huh?" But then he goes. He's like, "Oh, Cassie's still alive. I'm gonna go find her." He runs to her place, and Cassie's grown up, and Paul Rudd's acting in this moment of seeing her and taking on, "Oh my God, my daughter's still alive." It's been a long time, so now she's bigger. What the fuck happened? Um, oh my God, you're safe, and all my fears are washed away. Like, all those things. He just took it on. He really did, and it was beautiful. It was a really touching moment. He just, he just sees her, and he's overcome with, like, resolve that everything is going to be okay. <laughs> So he obviously is like, well, now I got to be on a mission. Cassie's alive. That's all I needed. I need to now go find the Avengers. Shit's about to pop off. He, I'm guessing, drives the van cross-country over the course of a couple days. So I don't know how many days that was that he drove, but he drives cross-country and gets to the Avenger facility. They let him in, and... He's like trying to explain that he has this like th theory in his head about how to fix everything that's happened. Because obviously, as he's traveling, he's learning about Thanos's attack, <clears throat> everything that happened on Earth, all the shit that's gone wrong, and he just like goes, "Okay, uh, I have an idea. This is the thing that Janet and Hope talked about, and, and he was real emotional about that too." And he's like, "What about what if we could go?" back and get the stones before Thanos got the stones since we all are going to know where they're at because we found them all uh, and get them and undo everything. And, oh, okay, well, yeah, that's a great theory, but we don't have the science. No, somebody who does. Now we get Tony back in the story. He's built that farm. He told uh, Cap, I think he was going to do an Age of Ultron, build a farm for Pepper like Clint did for his family. 
and you get the Morgan Stark reveal that he's got a, a five-year-old daughter, and he kind of got to live this life, and it was really another beautiful scene that got me, knowing that he had a daughter right out the gate. I was just like, oh, this movie's going to be brutal. So raise the stakes a little bit. Here comes Cap, Widow, and Ant-Man, and they're like, hey, time travel, we need you to figure it out. And he's like, oh, but that's not going to work. This is not going to work. This is not going to work. And all these little things is subtly him deflecting the fact that he's already been working on it. He hasn't been able to stop. He just hasn't let on and because he, he's been focused on the only way to do this, the only way to defeat Thanos without the stones, because he obviously learned after they killed Thanos, the 2018 Thanos, uh, that the stones were gone and reduced to atoms. And he was like, well, can't fucking find reduced atoms, so what's the next best step? Work on time travel. So he's fucking working on it until around the time they tell him they need him for that. He solves the problem, puts the thing in, and then, you know, as he tells them, he doesn't tell them that, though. He's like, I, I can't help you. I, if you guys want to come and hang out for lunch, I'm good with that. But if not, I can't talk shop in front of my daughter. You got to go. They're like, okay, we're going to go. We're going to go find the next biggest brain. We get the smart Hulk reveal. That's pretty awesome. Uh, five years of Hulk and Banner working on radiation treatment to kind of become a perfect amalgamation of both. Um, but, you know, there's there's so many other little moments in this movie that were, were awesome. Uh, another thing to talk about is the, you know... Uh, Tony coming back to Avengers Tower and gives Cap the shield. And we have that moment. They fucking finally get there coming together and everything's cool. My one theory about them being the last time they see each other and, and handshake and all that shit did not pan out. That's okay. Much, much better ending in my opinion. Uh, so they hatch the plan to do the time heist. Tony reveals he knows time travel and how to do it, or he knows how to make it happen. They had tried to do time travel and push time through Scott, which made him a baby and then an adult and then an old man, and he didn't know which version of him peed his pants. I love that line. Somebody peed my pants. I don't know if it was old me or or baby me or just, just me me. <laughs> well, so... Love that scene. It's great. Tony comes in. He's like, I got it figured out. Here's how we're going to do it. We got to set this test up. Hawkeye goes and do, does the test. Another heartbreaking moment. His daughter hears his voice. She doesn't know what he's going through. He didn't hear her voice and goes back. He gets sucked back in time to the future. So she hears him, but he doesn't hear her. And it's just like, oh, they almost connected. That's heartbreaking. Uh. You know, then they, they're going on the mission. You have your mission. You you know, you have your teams. We've all got our goals. We've the, Essentially, their time heists are going to go to New York, where there are three stones. They're going to go to Morag and Vormir to get two stones, and they're also going to go back to Asgard in 2013 to get a stone. So essentially, going back and doing, like, the greatest hits of Marvel, but they did it in a clever way. You know, I'm I'm not a huge Thor the Dark World fan, but now I'm going to have to go watch that movie even more with even more close intent just to get even more out of it because it becomes a, such a big staple in Endgame. I mean, in that movie, they beautifully utilized shots that already existed from the those three things, and that's like the middle chunk of the movie. I don't really want to talk about that because that speaks for itself. They're going back in time. They're trying to accomplish these goals. Um 
Some teams succeed, some teams fail. Rhodey gets the orb. Nebula gets left behind because of other Nebula, and she gets trapped. On Morag, Clint tries to sacrifice himself. Ultimately, Natasha makes the play. Clint wakes up just like Thanos in the pool of water off the cliff of Vormir with the stone in hand, shocked and bewildered and sad. And that was another heartbreaking moment, Natasha sacrificing herself. And she's just like, I had a lot of red in my ledger, and you guys are my family, and I need to see that right, that wrong that Thanos did righted. So, you know, that was brutal. Um, Thor seeing his mom, that was sad and brutal because it's on the day she dies, and he's like Fat Thor, which we didn't talk about. They go and pick up Thor in New Asgard, which was Tongsburg, which is where Captain America, the first Avenger, that movie, the dude who Red Skull gets the Tesseract from initially in that little hidden tree spot, that's Tongsburg. So this is New Tongsburg. Obviously, Tongsburg was originally destroyed by Red Skull. You get Odin that says in Ragnarok that this is Asgard and shows Thor the land that obviously New Asgard is built on in that five years' time, so they built it up pretty quick. Not a lot of Asgardians there, but they're Asgardians, so they're a little bit more special. They put up together an area. Thor let himself go. He's fallen into a deep, dark, brutal depression. Can't get out of it. Wants to die. It's bad. You know, he can't. That was, oh, that was a heartbreaking line, too, you know. They said, uh, Banner's like, I know, buddy. I know you're scared of Thanos. They're like, don't say that name in here. And, Th- and Thor's like, I'm not scared of that guy. Why would I be scared of that guy? I'm the only one that killed that guy. Anybody else need to kill that guy? He's so broken. Because he did kill Thanos. He just didn't kill him at the right time and cost half of everything. So Thor feels like the ultimate loser. Like he had the shot, he took the shot, and he still didn't do it. He still didn't come up with the best way to beat Thanos. And that that failure is what turns him into quote unquote fat Thor. We see him on Asgard. He's defeated. And he sees his mom, and she knows that he's from the future, and the future hasn't been kind to you. And then he reveals, yes, I am am from the future. And uh, that's a beautiful moment. Rocket and Thor get the the, uh, ether, and they, they head back. So they successfully get their team back. Clint, by himself, no Natasha returning. Nebula gets caught. Well, sort of. We also get a different, uh, like a bait and switch because that's the thing. On Morag, Nebula's brain or her computer syncs with her other self, quantum entanglement style, and plays memories of her and Rhodey talking. So 2014 Nebula essentially shows Thanos, and Thanos knows everything. And he's scanning this nebula, and he knows that he sees how he dies. He sees the battle on Titan. He knows how that goes and plays out. He knows these certain Avengers' weaknesses and strengths, and he knows that he did it. His goal, that Thanos' goal to destroy half of all life, to save half of all life, worked for him. And he's like, wait a minute, wait a minute, minute, but what's going on? They're going back in time to stop what I've already done? Well, now we have the upper hand because we already know how they're going to do everything. We already know what we can do to stop them. And we also know that, uh, you know, we can do a bait and switch with Nebula and have somebody on the inside. 
Other Nebula travels back. Finally, she gets back. They're all back. Everything seems normal. Uh, Cap and Iron Man and Ant-Man do not succeed in getting the Tesseract. Hulk succeeds in getting the Time Stone, and that was an awesome moment with the cool uh, cameo appearance from the Ancient One, Tilda Swinton. And uh, so they have to go further back in time to the 70s. They do so. They run into Howard Stark. Beautiful moment. So in first Iron Man, Tony sits down after he gets home from being in the cave after his accident, and he's having a cheeseburger, and he says, I never got to say goodbye to my father. You know, and I, I always wondered how, how he would how he felt about this, you know, what, what his headspace was on what we were doing here. And then he goes back in this movie to the 70s and gets to see his dad at SSR. Peggy Carter's there. I guess it's early S.H.I.E.L.D. now at this point, not SSR. So Peggy Carter's there. Hank Pym is there. His dad is there. I mean, it's it's the heyday of S.H.I.E.L.D. with all these big-name people in there. Steve obviously goes and sees Peggy, and it does it for him. That sets up the future and decides his, his nail in the coffin, the decision he's going to make of what he's going to do after this is all done if they survive. So... Tony and Howard are having a moment, and and you know uh, Tony says, uh, or ha- they're talking and they're talking about their children, and and uh, Howard is talking about Tony who isn't born yet. Tony knows that, but Howard doesn't know that, and he's like, "I have a little girl." Tony's like, "I have a little girl," and Howard's like, "God, I wish I had a little girl. A lot less chance for her to end up like me." And Tony's like, "What do you mean by that?" Because he knows he's gonna be this kid. He, he's like, how am I going to end up like my dad? And uh, Howard goes, well, let's just say the greater interest has often or has not often outweighed the interest of myself. Essentially saying that it's always been about Howard Stark ultimately and no one else really matters and he doesn't care who has to die or lose or sacrifice or anything of that nature because... He's got to do it for him. He's number one. Tony hears that loud and clear, you know. And I think that's the one thing that drives his decision. This Literally, this trip to the 70s, more than anybody realizes, forces Cap and Tony, to, it literally forces Cap and Tony both to decide their fates in those moments. Cap sees Peggy. His mind is made up. Tony hears his dad talking about the greater good. And he's like, well, I don't want my dad to think that I became him. And I don't want to make my dad feel like I failed him. And if that's what he was most afraid of, I want to make sure that that isn't the case. So I'm going to do whatever I can to protect mine and my family. And that's, and that's, and that's what I think Tony does. So they get all the stones and then you're like, oh man, the Avengers have the fucking infinity stones. Holy shit. You know? And they did the stealing of the scepter, which was from Avengers Tower, and that was clever. Awesome reference with the uh, Robert Redford showing up as Pierce Alexander. They do the cool scene in the elevator and the Hail Hydra moment, which was a callback from the comics. It actually was. I wasn't 100% certain that they were actually trying to call back the comics like that or if it was just Cap literally outsmarting them, but I think it is a bit of both, which is awesome. Uh, You get... You know, after they get the stones and you're like, oh shit, it's now, it's coming. They put the stones in the new gauntlet and they're going to do the snap. And it's like, who's going to do it? Call back to the first Avengers because, you know, 
Tony's asking, you know, Hulk or Banner about everything, and he's like, I don't know why why Hulk saved me. I don't know why I didn't die. I should have died. I should I don't know what my purpose is. And then he gets this moment and he's like, It's gotta be me. I was made for this. You know, it's low levels of gamma. He is made from gamma radiation. So Hulk puts on the gauntlet and it the power's coursing through him and it's like intense and he snaps and he falls to the ground and the gauntlet falls off of him and he like doesn't fully change to banner but he gets a little weaker looking you can tell and they're like oh shit and scott immediately realizes that it worked because there you can hear birds again and there are a lot of birds and because there aren't a lot of birds a lot of these trees are just not inhabited anymore so now all of a sudden there's birds and scott's like we did it it worked Holy shit. It worked. Right as they're having getting ready to have the celebration, everything seems cool and and Banner's still laying on the ground, just kind of looks up and he sees this shadow and he goes, "Oh shit," because while he's snapping his fingers, the fake nebula from 2014 is using the portal to bring Thanos's army through the past to the present into the future, the 2023 future that we're living in now in the MCU and deal with and go down and battle with the Avengers. And now he's on a different quest. You already found all the stones for me. Now all I have to do is just defeat you once and for all. And I know that my first attempt didn't work. So now I'm just going to kill you all. If you aren't going to be fucking grateful for what I did, I'm just going to destroy all of you. You guys are pests. You stopped me in the Battle of New York. That pissed me off. I'm ending this now. And Thanos is on a different mission now. He is battle mode. That's why it's not like he feels so easy and breezy like in the first movie where he was just sauntering through taking what he wanted and getting what he wanted cleverly, you know. He took a lot of time to plan on how he was going to get each of those stones for the first movie in Infinity War. Now he doesn't have to. The Avengers did it for him. He also knows, like I said, the fate of everything he tried to do, changed the game plan, and now we have a much more angry, much more vicious much larger armied Thanos going for the kill. And he didn't just have the Chitari. Keep in mind, he also had all of Ronan's, like, kiln soldiers or whatever the fuck they were. The things from First Guardians that was probably Thanos' army to begin with that he gave Ronan. He used all... I mean, it was it was crazy. So, Thanos destroys the Avengers, uh, you know, facility... And all hope seems lost. And Tony gets out. And Tony finds Cap. He's like, get up. Cap's like, what happens? He's like, well, when you mess with time, time tends to mess back. They, with Thor, are looking on at Thanos sitting there just chilling in the battle waiting. And he goes, you know, you couldn't live with your failures. Where did that bring you? Back to me. And then it's on, you know. And Thor gets, oh, one thing I want to mention, when we go to Asgard, Thor find, figures out he is still worthy because uh, Vormir, uh, not Vormir, uh, Mjolnir comes back to him. So now in this this fight, he's wielding both Mjolnir and Stormbreaker. He's like the Asgardian god of thunder with this fucking new Viking look. It's dope. I loved it. And these three, the fucking, the trinity of the original three Power Avengers that came together in the first Avenger movie, Go toe-to-toe with Thanos, and it's brutal. 
and Thanos is going to kill Thor, and all of a sudden, boom, he gets hit by Mjolnir. Who threw Mjolnir? Cap did. And Cap gets Mjolnir back, and you're just like, that's the moment the theater pops off. Everybody's loving it. So they still battle and battle it out, and Thanos still overcomes them. He just... He's no, he knows all their moves. He literally had time to watch all the different things that played out that Nebula witnessed in the future. So he knows how to defeat a lot of these people and, and knows a lot of the secrets. And, and plus, you got to think, these Avengers are tired. They've had five years of grief just weighing down on them where they haven't had anybody to deal with or contend with to keep them sharp. The first guy back they have to fight is Thanos in his prime before he's gotten the stones with the quest just to find the stones. It's a, it, I'm trying to bring to you guys the reason why I think that the fight was more balanced. Some people are like, Stormbreaker and Mjolnir would just fucking wreck Thanos. Yeah. If Thor was mentally there and on a good day, yeah. But not now. It's not going to work like that. They're all beat. These guys are all exhausted Every fucking Avenger is wiped when they start this fight with Thanos. And they ultimately seemingly lose. And Thanos brings his entire army through. And he says, you know, through all everything, all the bloodshed, none of this has been personal. But what I'm about to do to your little planet, I'm going to enjoy it. And he's like ready and all the army comes through and they start. And it's everybody's been defeated and it's just Cap holding a half a shield and Mjolnir. <laughs> And you hear a broken cap, captain, on your left. And you see a strange portal. One of the portals is opening up. And I thought Sam was going to fly through first. It was okay that it wasn't, though, because it's T'Challa. They're coming back through right. Literally, these people are just getting up right after the snap. Whoa, what happened? Bring the army. Let's go. Because Doctor Strange knew that this is what has to happen. All these people, this is the scene where Howard the Duck appears. When you first see a wasp appear on screen to the bottom right of her appearance, you'll see Howard the Duck walking with the rest of the Ravagers who were there in the fight. I mean, you had Asgardians, Ravagers, the entire Wakandan army, you know, the Dora Milaje, M'Baku's tribe, everybody. I mean, every, it was giant spectacle, giant, absolute giant spectacle. A lot of awesome moments in that battle. The gauntlet gets kind of footballed around. Clint has it, and Ant-Man turns into Giant-Man to save Hulk and Rhodey and Rocket. and They're all coalescing and coming together all in this moment, and it's just beautiful because Cap goes, Avengers, assemble, and they all take off in the fight, and it's on. It's on till the break of MF and Dawn. And it was a beautiful scene, and they all fight, and they're doing. And everybody's have, having a moment, and all kinds of different moments are happening. But the focus is distract Thanos, get the gauntlet. We have to get the gauntlet to our other time machine, which is the van from Ant Man and Ant Man and the Wasp, because the time machine, the quantum tunnel there, uh, can send the stones back where they need to go to ref refill the timeline, as Ancient One said. They tried. Thanos stops that, and and the explosion from that knocks Captain Marvel out, and Tony sees the gauntlet, and Thanos sees the gauntlet, and they wrestle for it. And Thanos has it, at least he you know he puts it on, and you're just like, oh fuck, not again. Cap goes, Captain Marvel goes to snap, 
or Captain, uh, Thanos goes to snap, Captain Marvel stops him, and then, you know, he knocks her back with the Power Stone, and you're just like, oh, fuck, he's going to really do it. Tony goes to stop him, and you're just like, oh, no, here we go. It's Iron Man armor, it's nanotech, so obviously all he has to do is think what he wants to have happen. His armor takes the stones out of the other armor. He's got them in his hands. Thanos says, you know, I am inevitable right before he goes to do another snap and it doesn't work. Tony goes, I am and I am Iron Man. He does a snap and wipes out Thanos. And man, what a moment. That was that got me. And then to see Rhodey and Pepper and, and Peter there dealing with a no speech. They didn't give him a he's going to go out talking and have all these words. No, he was fried. There was no more Tony Stark left, and he's dying right in front. It was one of the hardest things to watch as a fan of the movies that I've grown up, you know, in the past 11 years with, but also for the character of Robert Downey Jr.'s Iron Man because he's done it all, man. He's been a part of, littered this first saga of the MCU is littered with Robert Downey Jr. and Tony Stark and the fallout from decisions he made and the things he made and the things that have happened because of his world that he brought. I mean, you know, it's it was a brutal, crushing moment. You have to then do the funeral scene, and that was brutal and really hard to get through, and several tears were shed there and prove Tony has a heart, and they're at his farmhouse, and they send in the water. And I love the beautiful callback to Age of Ultron with Clint and Wanda, and they're talking about wishing that Clint says, I wish I could you know, just let Nat know that it worked. And Wanda says, she knows. And then she references her brother. They both do. Meaning that, well, or she's also referencing Vision because Vision lost his life for the stone. And really, Quicksilver wasn't a part of that battle. But um, it was it was brutal, man. It's, it's a brutal movie in a good way, you know. And then everybody asks, is there a post-credit scene? No, but there is this noise. And it's iron being hit. And it's actually the noise from the first Iron Man. And it's because he forged this universe. Like I said, without what Robert Downey Jr. did and the success of that first Iron Man movie, we would not be sitting here today talking about Endgame. It is that reason alone that I don't believe in any DC movies that are going to be coming out in the near future. DC needs to take a long, hard look at the work, the effort, and the meticulous planning that Marvel did to put their universe together in such a way that it did that at the box office. It's crushing, and it's it's a beautiful movie. I'm going to go see it again on Thursday. 3D, IMAX, biggest screen I can in 3D for the first time. Can't wait. It's my second time seeing a movie in 3D, IMAX, on the big, big screen. I've seen a, 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 like a real D IMAX, but not a true IMAX. IMAX with the giant screen bigger than your whole body. So I can't wait to experience that because then you're going to see things I've never seen in this movie before no matter how many times I've watched it because you're just going to get it on a different scale. There were so many moments in this movie that were awesome, but it's like what does the future hold? Now you've got this five-year time gap. A lot of people that were snapped just came back and they've missed five years, but everyone else lived it. So there's some weird timey-wimeyness to it, you know. Uh, it just changes the whole entire uh, status quo. Of the MCU, and with that being said, we're going to talk about the next step of the MCU because 
actually, let's talk about this real quick. Oh, as uh, let's see, there's a lady named Catherine Langford that was going to be in the film, but she never showed up. Recently, in an interview, the Russo brothers revealed the actress did have a role in the movie. Uh, they opened up saying it turned out it was meant for Catherine Langford to play an older version of Morgan Stark. There was an idea that we had where Tony was going to do, go to the metaphysical way station where Thanos saw his daughter when he snapped his fingers. There was going to be a future version of his daughter in that way station. It, we showed it to a test audience and it was really confusing. What we realized about it was we didn't feel an emotional association with the adult version of his daughter. It wasn't resonating with us on an emotional level, which is why we moved away with it. His future daughter forgave him and gave him the peace to go. I mean, that's still fucking heartbreaking to just read that single sentence. But, man, um, I loved Endgame. I've said it enough. You guys are probably going to hear me talk about theories down the road. I have a lot of them. I'm still trying to formulate exactly how they all work and operate. I do believe that the next major... MCU villain is not going to be Super Scroll. It's not going to be Galactus. The next guy we get is probably going to be Kang the Conqueror. I think Kang the Conqueror is going to be the uh, really driving force for the next 10 years because he deals in time travel. There are three versions of Kang. There's current Kang the Conqueror. There's Iron Lad, who's the younger version of himself that learns he's going to become Kang, doesn't want to become Kang, goes into the past to stop Kang as Iron Lad. Then there's present Kang the Conqueror. And there's also a future version of Kang who's like a ancient pharaoh Kang who tried to power, harness the power of what? Oh, well, apocalypse, don't you know? He tries to harness the power of the first mutant, meaning what? Again, it's all setting everything up for mutants. It's setting things up for X-Men. It's setting things up for Fantastic Four. Kang the Conqueror, he's coming for you. You guys fuck with the timeline, and that's got to be rectified or at least attempted to be rectified. I can't wait to see what they do. But until then, you know, we've got something that we don't have to wait so much longer for, a little under two months away here until we get our next Spider-Man movie, Spider-Man Far From Home. Boy, they dropped a trailer today on us, folks, and it is packed full of spoilers. So much so, it comes with a warning from Tom Holland, the spoiler king himself. I'm just going to play this thing in its entirety. Uh, and briefly talk over it a little bit here and there, just depending. I'm, I, you know, I will say this. This has a lot of dealing with the fallout of Endgame. It also has a little bit of setting up what you think the future is going to be, but I also think it's a total curveball. So that, and we're going to get there. I'm going to pause it and we'll talk about it. Let's, here we go. It's the trailer for Spider-Man Far From Home. The Spider-Man Far From Home trailer is about to play, but if you haven't seen Avengers Endgame yet, stop watching because there's some serious spoilers about to come up. But if you have seen Avengers Endgame, enjoy the trailer. Everywhere I go, I see his face. Iron Man on the wall. He's, He's still in the Iron Spider suit, by the yeah, way. I miss him too. Happy's in this movie, obviously. I don't think Tony would have done what he did if he didn't know that you were going to be here after he was gone. I love it. He's just kicking ass as Iron Spider. You gonna be the next Iron Man now? Well, no, I don't have time. I'm too busy doing your jobs. Oh. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Look, keep up the good work because I am going on vacation. So it seems the whole world knows Tony died to save everyone. Heads up. Nick Fury's calling you. 
I don't really want to talk to Nick Answer Fury. Phone. Why? Because if you don't talk to him, then I... One thing I want to mention right here is this is a shot that's from earlier in the first trailer where they're back behind the scenes and he's got the check, but this is a different spot. I'm guessing after uh, Aunt May leaves to, uh, Happy and Parker talking here, but that means that the first shot, he's not in his Iron Spider suit because they didn't want to reveal that he's still holding on to the Iron Spider suit until he goes on this vacation, I think. To talk, I want to talk to them. Parker hangs up on uh, on Nick Fury. Which that's probably a mistake. You sent Nick Fury to voicemail? I gotta go. You do not ghost Nick Fury. What up, Darks? What's up? We're just talking about the trip. I'm here in St. Marco Polo. Oh, I think MJ really likes me. That reminds me when I first fell in love. You're a very difficult person to contact, Spider-Man. That's an amalgamation. That's an amalgamation of the two previous trailers where he shoots. Uh, where. Nick Fury shoots Ned Leeds in the neck with the trank and he falls over. So now they're on a gondola boat at night and he's in his far from home costume. He takes his mask off right away and and right in this scene in this trailer you've got it looks like there's a group of people, several different possible shield agents, Maria Hills in the shot. You've got Mysterio full gear, no helmet, but Parker has no mask. And here's what we learned. This is Mr. Beck. You could use someone like you on my world. You use someone like you on my world? What was that? World Beck is from Earth, just not ours. Snap to our hole in our dimension. So there's the reveal. And this is where I think they're lying to us. Quentin Beck is going to tell people that a snap, the snap tore a hole in the fabric of the re their reality, or maybe it really does. But he is not one of the things that is from a different world. He is from our Earth. He's just a loser who is really good with um, tech, techy things. He maybe stole some tech from Iron Man, possibly. But we're seeing the elementals. So Sandman, Molten Man, Hydro Man, it makes sense. They're using them as elemental creatures, not trying to tell goofy stories where it's a guy on fire trying to talk to Spider-Man. That doesn't translate well. This translates better. You're saying there's a multiverse? There it is, guys. You're saying there's a multiverse? Yes, that is going to be true. However, that Quentin Beck is from a multiverse? False. We have a job to do. You're coming with us. someone else you can use. What about Thor? Off-world. Captain Marvel. Unavailable. But I'm just a friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. Bitch, please, you've been to space. I love that. I'm just your na friendly neighborhood Spider-Man, and uh, Nick Fury's response is, bitch, please, you've been to space, and you fought Thanos, and you fought on Titan, and you fought in the huge... Battle of Upstate New York. Man. Spidey, you're a gangster. They're definitely setting you up to be the new leader. The new guy of the Avengers. The next dude they turn to. It's got to be a great feeling. What do you want, Peter? I want to go back on my trip with the girl who I really like and tell her how I feel. MJ, I am Spider-Man. No, of course I'm not. I mean, it's kind of obvious. So that's wicked. It seems that um, 
MJ, as they're going to affectionately call her, which is not Mary Jane. Her name's not Mary Jane, but MJ is Zendaya's character. Uh, knows she just figures it out, I'm, and I think that, that, that that's going to come from like, oh well, Happy Hogan saved us. You weren't here. Spider Man was fighting this elemental. Spider Man also fights in New York, where I go to school. Wait a minute. I mean, it's not too hard to put together. But it's cool that she puts it together and he doesn't. I don't know if that's going to be a real reveal or a fake reveal where she's like, no, nah, I'm just playing. You know, and it's like a total misstep. Or train of our existence in the middle of the episode, of course, right at the best possible time to show up. So, yeah, these elementals look wicked. You may not be ready, but this is my responsibility. And that's a cool shot of Mysterio with his fishbowl helmet on using his powers requires sacrifice and fighting this elemental i think spidey's also Sometimes fighting the elemental okay so that was pretty cool because he's uh parker's riding in a vehicle and he's actually wearing tony's shades i just always feel like i'm putting my friends in danger the world needs the next iron man you going to step up or not Stealth suit, he's going up this wall, he does a backflip, it's bitches. I gotta get you guys out of here! Get on the jet! Who are you? I work with Spider-Man. You work for Spider-Man? I work with Spider-Man, not for Spider-Man. New plan! See, I love that trailer. They, they give you so many little different things. I want to go back and watch the other trailers at some point because I feel like you could put them all together and see a little bit more of what they're trying to accomplish. I do feel the multiverse is going to be real. I don't think, like I said, Quentin Beck is going to be a part of it. I also feel like he is to blame for all the elementals that are overseas. He is also the real villain of the movie. It's a it's a total brilliant swerve. Uh, another thing to note is I feel like all the fights and shit like he's controlling somehow tech or otherwise the environment in a way that's allowing him to never lose, but also look like he's been in a battle. He's, he's essentially like very comic book esque move for Quentin Beck. I'm really looking forward to far from home, far from home. And I think I'd love that another secret double entendre to that far from home. They're now suggesting that, not only is Parker far from home on a field trip, he's also far from home because he doesn't have his guide in the one and only Tony Stark. Also, Quentin Beck allegedly is far from home if he's on from a different world. Could have used someone like you on my world. See, this is one of those guys I feel like he just had five years to fucking think about how to do things. And once things settled down and the world got back to some quote-unquote normal, he was going to make a name for himself. And I think that Spidey's going to figure it out. I think that this movie is going to be incredible. And I can't wait to see what's happening. I love the name drops of Thor. I love the callbacks of Captain Marvel. So, um, yeah, I can't I can't wait, actually, folks. But I think that's going to do it for this week's episode. I'm already late getting it to you guys, so I don't want to delay it any longer. You guys have been amazingly patient with me and super kind as always you can check out the journey into comics podcast right here journeyintocomics.com on the journey into comics network or you can go to itunes podbean stitcher radio google play music spotify TuneIn, and many others just search journey into comics network 
where you can get all the different shows on our network, whether it's Journey into Comics, Poor 360, Journey into Wrestling, Foodies Watching Movies, Adulting Ain't Easy, Podcastrophe, Kids for Sale, Crucial Tunes, The Voice of Survival, Gallif Radio, Brews with Dudes, or Dungeons with Dudes, folks. I think that's going to do it for this week's episode of Journey into Comics. Journey into Comics 242. I have been your host, Nate. I hope you guys have a fantastic rest of your week. We hope you take it easy. Take care and fill your brains with shit. Later, guys.